And now our feature presentation, Imitating Art with Don and Chuck. All right. All right you well, write it down, minute eight, start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to Imitating Art. I'm Chuck. And I'm Don. He's here also. Uh, here at Imitating Art, we like to review a movie, talk about what lessons we can learn from it, apply to our own lives. Or not. Or not apply if we're lazy, <laughs> uh, which we usually are. Yeah. But eh, most yeah. uh, movies have interesting life lessons to take from them, and yeah, this is a, we're, we're here to discover them. Yeah. This is a podcast where you may want to apply the lesson directly to the forehead. Or may not. And, uh, <laughs> we, you know, often do not. Uh, I, I missed that commercial. <laughs> Ron Papil? Well, it wasn't Papil. That wasn't Ron Papil? I guess I, I just, think ass- I think I just assume that classic infomercials are just Ron Papil. <laughs> uh, well, I, there was never, I never saw like a half hour version of it. It was just the, it was like the head on, the apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> That's true. It was too repetitive. And then they said it like four times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't it didn't have the uh, the uh, production value of Ron Papil the infomercial at one a.m. No. It also didn't have Ron Papil in the commercial, so I don't remember it well enough to know. But yeah, you are correct. Uh, I, I I guess that's yeah. a testament to Ron Papil's legacy that I apply any <laughs> of his commercials directly to the forehead and assume it's his. So yeah. uh, it wasn't Billy Mays. Yeah, I forgot about Billy. And Mays. it wasn't, it wasn't Mr. Shamwell, whatever his name is. <laughs> oh, what did <it>, so <laughs> Shamwell? There was a um, there was a guy that me and Becca stayed with on couch surfing when we were traveling across the country before we got our apartment in Utah, and his name was unusual, and we didn't know how to pronounce it. But I that's an odd name. But I kept pronouncing it as Shamwell um, because I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> And, uh, I, and it just kind of stuck. And then every time, and we had a weird experience there too. So it's like, not, not like a, not a, not an, like a really bad weird experience. Just like he was cutting his toenails in front of us while we were talking, having a casual conversation. Like he was a little bit of an awkward guy to spend the evening with. Um, but otherwise mm-hmm. it was a normal experience, you know, it was a fine experience. Um, but it came up enough that we, bro- we, we referenced that evening enough that I kept being able to say, I don't remember his name. Sham- I think his name was Shamwell. I, it's been long enough that I don't remember his actual name at all <laughs> still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so whenever I hear Shamwell, that's all I think of. Did he ever just walk into where you two were with a, an unbuttoned button-down shirt? Yeah. I don't think he was wearing a shirt when we came in. <laughs> <laughs> so he would have had to put a shirt on for that to happen. <laughs> anyway. Christian, anyway. Christian Bale. I mean, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is creepy. Uh, what have you been watching this? What have you been watching this week? Been watching a lot of stuff. Actually, I have like a little list because yeah. I've watched like City Slickers and we watched Wayne's World and the Bewitched movie with Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly, honestly, we've just mostly been watching Home Improvement. Nice. We're currently almost halfway through season three. Currently. Currently. <laughs> DJ Shakedown. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out. Um, yeah. Uh, the interesting thing I'd noticed this time about Home Improvement 
is a I totally relate to Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, but also Tim Allen's uh, stand-up is all about being like a, a manly man, mm-hmm. and like that's about it, and yeah. the difference between men and women. But Home Improvement is about him being that sort of classically, at least semi-toxic male, but about learning where the problems are with being that way. Mm-hmm. And, and constantly have to learn his lessons from from the way he is. So at least there's that. It's still a, a very dated show, but it's fun for nostalgia reasons. So the character learns are, some lessons, but he, but Tim Allen himself never does. I I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's fun for nostalgia. Some genuinely funny moments. Al is mm-hmm. always great. Um. Yeah. I told one of my coworkers I was going to go home and watch Home Improvement. She's in her early 20s, and she said, Oh, hey, I remember watching that on Nick at Night. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she could have said that about The Fresh Prince also, uh, which is mildly depressing. But also, I felt like that show ended up on Nick at Night way sooner than any of the other shows that were on Nick at Night. <laughs> yeah, Nick at, uh, Fresh Prince was pretty soon. Cheers was on Nick at Night by the late 90s. Oh, I really? watched that a lot. Of and when did that end? In like 1990? Or that ended probably around 92, 93. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty. That's quite soon after it, it's it's air date. Yeah. So it it Cheers's last season was Seinfeld's third season. Okay. So so 92 probably. A lot of things happened in 92, 93. I think like Friends and. ER and the X-Files, they all kind of started right around that time, 90, 92, 93, 94. That's the thing. I do it naturally anyway. So every, every time Wilson does it, I'm like, I get, I get this guy. Uh, I, just need, I just need to cover up my face. <laughs> oh, so you're going to Wilson. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I watched a movie on the plane, but I honestly don't remember what it was. So I'm, it, it does not bear talking about. Um, however, also on the plane, I watched the first four episodes of Ted Lasso. Okay, it's fucking great. You need to. You should definitely watch it. Like it's you know half hour episodes. It's fantastic. It's but it's Bill Lawrence and it's Jason Sudeikis and mm-hmm. Zach Braff directs, directs an episode. It is like. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I would say if you like Scrubs or Scrubs-esque things to anyone out there, you should check it out. It's, it's very well done. What makes you think I like something Scrubs or Scrubs-related? Mostly your ears. My ears? <laughs> I was just thinking of the, most th- the, the thing that would most not ever let me know anything about you. Especially because they're covered. <laughs> Yeah, there are no saltines in these ears, my friend. <laughs> you have found the saltine. Um, no, it's like it's it's done very well. To like, I mean, Jason Sudeikis is hilarious, and he he plays the character so well. Um, but it's it's very well written. It's very funny. But then it like it, it starts to come in with like some actual like dramatic bits as well, much like Scrubs does. Like it walks the line very very nicely. So yeah. I, uh, I recommend that show. Do the uh, do the episodes end with Jason Sudeikis saying? At the end of the day, friends are friends. Uh, no, there's a uh, and a character that's not in the show does the does the voiceovers. It's weird. Uh, it sounds a lot like JD. Hmm. There's no voiceovers. Um, no, it's uh, there, but there's. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, is it Bob Saget? <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't. You know, I 
kind of forget that he is old Ted. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, I wish I could remember the movie I watched just so I could tell you not to watch it. Um, Me too. Oh, I, I watched I, I watched a do not recommend movie actually on Netflix called uh, Super Dark Times. Hmm. Well, Something a name like, like that. that. <laughs> Has to be good. <laughs> um, uh Leave it to us to get a... like super dark times. It has to be Smuckers. <laughs> leave it like a, leave it to us to get a Smuckers joke in here. <laughs> hey, don't be jelly. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Just had to jam it's it in jam. there. What can I say? <laughs> you got it too. Oh, I'll beat right. you to it. <laughs> uh, we are laughing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was my chair. That wasn't a raspberry. <laughs> All right, go moving. Uh, yeah, but yeah, super dark times. It was on Netflix. It's not a Netflix original. It was just. It's about these kids who it takes place in the 90s one of them accidentally kills one of the other kids and it's about like the fallout from that Mm -hmm. which could be a good movie unfortunately this is the movie they made instead (laughs) and i was not happy with it but the guy who plays the dirty looking kid with the long hair in ozark Mm -hmm. ruth's cousin he was one of the main characters in it, and he was he was fine. It's just that the movie itself wasn't that good. Always, always good to be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't heard of it personally, so I I couldn't say that I would have ever watched it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I wish. I, and you know, I I think the movie that I watched was probably just fine, but it was one of those movies you watch on an airplane because you haven't watched it anywhere else because you know you don't want to take the time mm-hmm. out of your day to stop and watch it. Yeah. Uh, last time I was on an airplane, I watched Spider-Man: Homecoming and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay, that's that sounds like a good selection. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. I still haven't seen. I agree. I still haven't seen Homecoming. So. Oh, it's I I like it a lot. Yeah, I know, and and it's one it is, and I, it's not one of those movies that I really put off for any real reason. I watched like all the Marvel movies before Endgame, and I was just that's the only one I didn't watch. Um, for whatever reason, like I had, I have my hangups about Tobey Maguire and wanting him to remain Spider-Man in my brain. But but after yeah, I saw I, some of the newer, we've talked about this. After I saw some of the newer movies with the new Spider-Man, I'm happy with him as said character. Yeah, uh, Tobey Maguire was my Spider-Man un- until Tom Haverford, uh, Wilford. Nope, Tom. Some. It's definitely something British. Because he is British. Habershire. Nope. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, the new one. Tom Holland. Holland. Yeah. <laughs> it's more Dutch, the, the most, honestly. The most British of names. Well, we've gone straight off the rails here, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wonder how much of this will last in. I say we take a break. Mm. We come back and talk about the movie. I think that's a good idea. I'm, I, I'll, I'll turn my key for that one. Turn your key, sir. Um, are we back? And we're back. Oh, we're back. Uh, (laughs) All right, so... uh, How good was Christian Bale in this movie? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking about so, Nightcrawler. Did we say that already? No, we did not say that already. No, we're talking about the movie we're, Nightcrawler that I'm certain yeah. everyone has seen. 
Um, yeah, we're giving a big uh, imitating yeah. art salute tonight to Jake to Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, not Christian Bale. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is. Oh, we, I, th- we I thought it was would, Jared uh, Leto. We figured we'd finally do a movie that's about a white guy. Um, yeah, trying to trying it's to, been trying long to, enough trying to exert his power over a woman. Yeah, look, we took a week off last week <laughs> by not talking about a movie at all. We figured it's time to get back to the white guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't. They just don't get enough attention in media today. So you know, we have to do our part no. as white guys to shine a spotlight on that. Yeah, well, they don't get enough positive attention in That's media today. Right. That's why we chose this movie. Yes. Because it shows its main white character in a very, very positive light. Yes. And if you guys can't see the expressions on our faces because this is a audio podcast, that is a giant uh, forward slash s. Uh, <laughs> on our faces. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes, we are being very sarcastic here. <laughs> this is uh, a very creepy, creepy guy that Jake Gyllenhaal plays. And I, the reason I mentioned Christian Bale is because he definitely like pulls from the Christian Bale playbook as far as being like American psycho sociopath kind of like creepy character. You know, I've never seen American Psycho. No, you should check it out. I should. Um, but I like as soon as the first few scenes where he was just like went from clipping the uh, the fence to talking to that guard and just go flipping into like oh I'm so sorry there are no signs around I didn't realize that uh, and he was like there's signs everywhere and he's like I did not yeah. see them he's just puts on that like blank face this is what I think a real person smile would look like kind of thing right yeah like a Dexter thing oh yeah um we we should. Mentioned quickly what the movie is about because probably not everyone listening to this has seen it. Mm-hmm. Although you all should, it's a very good movie. Yeah, it's on Netflix um, as well. So it is, and it has been for a long time. So I imagine it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal plays uh, a guy named Louis Lou Lou. Yeah, Lou. Let's uh, go with Lou. I don't remember his last Gossett name. Gossett Junior. Lou. <laughs> no. Lloyd Dobler. It's not Louis oh, Gossett no, Junior. It's Louis, but it, Louis but it is. It, it is Lou. Yeah. Um, who is a very motivated but creepy individual mm-hmm. who is looking for work and, and finds his niche uh, taking like in the moment video of accidents and, and crime and things to sell to yeah. news agencies it's what, what we call, or, or news stations. It's what we call spot news in like in the business. Like they call it spot if you are catching things as they're happening they call it spot news so whether you're a photographer or a videographer like that's um spot news for for news or print media and do they actually call them night crawlers the ones that go around just driving around at night i've never heard that word outside of this movie except for (laughs) x-men which is what i always thought this movie was about before i watched it which is why i never watched it um i not that i don't like x-men but i didn't really care about the nightcrawler character so I just avoided mm-hmm. this. And then when I later found out, oh, I've been missing out on one of what will, would have been one of my favorite movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. now I have it. Uh, and that's really all the, the movie is about, is him yeah. just finding this niche and then in creepier and creepier ways just getting power for himself by, by having this job. To make a reference that everyone um, will get, um, he's basically taking this to Todd Margaret levels of creepiness. Like, Todd Margaret does it out of stupidity, 
This guy does have a very like creepiness and drive. <laughs> um, Dude, another five years, I'm not even sure I would have gotten that reference. <laughs> I'm surprised I remembered the name, to be honest with you. Um, I need I need to watch that show again. So do I, and I, that's another that's another one I'll just throw out there as a uh, recommend. If you like British comedy and you like uh, David Cross, I would recommend checking out the the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret because it's hilarious. John Hamm makes m many appearances and he's great as a comedy actor. Um, mm -hmm. So check that out. Um, but anyway, to get... If you like if you like dark comedy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely dark comedy. Dark British comedy. Just give it a, give it a go. Stick with it for a few episodes because it gets ridiculous and wonderful. <laughs> um, but anyway... Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I've said it before, and I said it when we just saw each other uh, last week, but scary movies, like horror movies, don't scare me. It, it's movies like this that that frighten me. Yeah. No, same. I mean, this is more, much more realistic and like much more of like the creep factor, and that always gets under my skin way more than any kind of jump scare horror type movie. Yeah. Like, uh, the first thing we see him do is, like you said, he interacts with the security guard and then sees that the security guard has a nice watch. Yeah. We, he then immediately attacks the security guard. And in the next scene, we don't know what happened to the guard, but we see that Lou is now wearing the watch. Yeah, he's wearing the watch and he has a, tr a car full of the fence he was just clipping. Which you think, like, mm -hmm. it, it, when you watch the scene, you think he's clipping the fence to get through the fence. But then, you know, shortly after, or at least that's, that's what I thought. And then afterwards, after the cop is knocked knocked out or knocked unconscious, presumably, then he or has... Or killed. Or killed, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, he has the fence rolled up in his back, and he's taking it to a uh, scrap metal place to get money for it. Um, and he's getting all these rejections, Um First, in the form of the uh, scrap metal um, foreman, whoever the guy who runs the scrap metal yeah. yard, he yeah. is asking for a he, job. Yeah. Well, first he has to haggle for the price of the of the metal, right? And then, but he's he's very persistent in that. And then when it fails, he's persistent, but yeah, he, he fails. Yeah. He he essentially wants to build a working relationship with the guy, and so agrees to the guy's terms and ask him yeah. for a job and that fails yeah the guy clear the, the guy says right to his face like i'm not going to hire a thief he's basically saying like i'm already a little bit uncomfortable but i need the money from this, the metal you're providing me i'm not going to give you more than mm -hmm. it's worth and and reinforce your crime but i'm also not going to employ a an obvious thief yeah and this movie is so good because we already know in these first like five minutes everything we need to know about Lou mm -hmm. moving forward. He's creepy. He doesn't shy away from stooping low to, to get what he wants or, or needs. Mm -hmm. uh, e extremely persistent. Uh, much just uh, will only give up when he realizes that it behooves him to, to give up. Um yeah, and then in the next few minutes after that, it's on his way home from the scrapyard where he sees a, an accident, mm -hmm. like pulls over just to, to watch, and then he sees Bill Paxton, whose character name I can't remember. They only say it once or twice. And Joe. But they see Bill, 
Yeah, I think it's Joe that's something. Why, yeah, yeah, that's why it's hard to remember because it's so basic. Yeah, but sees Bill Paxton and his team taking video of the accident. Uh, he learns that they're going to sell it to the news stations, and he gets inspired to go out and, and get a camera and try it himself. Yeah, that's almost his most like relatable moment in the movie where he just like sees the guy and he goes oh how, like so what's the job like this pay like what do you do oh it's nice equipment like he's actually like he seems like childlike and interested in this field here and i feel like that's the last time in the movie where i feel that he is like I, cautiously i could say relatable to the fact that you're like you're interested in another career it doesn't seem like he's trying to do it uh, in any exploitative way at that point right <laughs> so mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he comes off as ambitious, and, and he is, yeah. but it's funny that you say he's relatable because in that scene, he's asking all those questions right by a, a potentially life-threatening accident. Right. Well, sure, but yeah. I mean, and then, but I mean, then you also have the character of Joe who is casually walking away from that after just having filmed it. So I guess, I mean, there are people who do it as a job because that is the job, just like people who work in hospitals who have to work around death and just kind of put it out of their mind. Like, there, it is for better or worse, a job that someone's going to do it, so it's a necessary evil. If the reporting is something that people want for things like this, then mm-hmm. somebody's going to fill that void. And uh, also, in, in that scene, uh, Joe says out loud one of the themes of the movie, which is, if it bleeds, it leads. Yep. Which is it, like an old uh, news business uh, like catchphrase. Oh. Yeah, the bloodier the crime, the more press they're going to put it on first because they want that's what's going to draw the viewers or the readers in. Yeah, and then it's just, you know, foreshadowing for what's going to happen in the movie as Lou finds worse and worse crimes to, to catch on video in creepier and creepier ways. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, so um, <laughs> to touch back on to the... The job itself, um, there are, I mean, we'll, we'll, I feel like we'll touch on this multiple times, but the exploitation of people's pain or disasters or whatever you want to call it, I mean, that is what the news or the clickbait industry feeds upon because the worse things are, the more people are going to click on it because, you know, whatever macabre desire we have to look at other people's pain um, then, you know, you, if there's a desire for it, there's going to be an industry for it. So whether you're a street photographer or a journalist or whatever it is, there is like that question of morality that comes along with, should you be taking images of this or should you be helping somehow, you know? And I feel like that, yeah. that comes up a lot. Like that question comes up a lot here. It is actually, have you ever seen the movie Ace in the Hole? It's, it's from the fifties, I believe. Then no. <laughs> it's a uh, it's an old Kirk Douglas movie made by Billy Wilder, mm-hmm. and it was made at a time when like the media circus was still a fairly new thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a very similar way, it's about Kirk Douglas as an, a newsman who like there's a, a miner trapped in a mine, an adult miner, um, not not a miner, a miner, <laughs> um, but he's trapped in a mine and. Kirk Douglas, the newsman, starts seeing, you know, all the money he can make with the story and so keeps delaying the rescue effort as as it goes on and on. And uh, 
you know, has a, a tragic ending, but eventually learns his lesson. In some ways, a, a similar movie, but made, you know, 65 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really good. Maya mentioned a movie that was made from, uh, that this, we watched it together, and she said it very much reminded her of a true story movie that was made, I think it was made in the UK, but it was about a newscaster or a journalist in Brazil called Killer Ratings, uh, that, which is also on Netflix. Uh, we watched the trailer for it, and she said the whole time we were watching it, like it gave her vibes about, you know, gave her memories of that whole that whole uh, mm-hmm. series. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not a movie; it's a it's an eight part like docu series kind of thing. Um, okay. But she said it was really good, and like when she watched it, she just could, you know, kind of kept wanting to click to the next episode. And this very much reminded her of that. But it, it's a more about a journalist, more about the journalist, like the firebug firefighter who is setting the fires to put them out. Like, oh, sure. that's kind of like the premise of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, a little ironic, isn't it, that she couldn't stop watching it? <laughs> isn't it ironic? Um, Don't you think? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've had, uh, I don't know if this is jumping ahead or, or not, or just jumping around, but like the whole idea of exploiting people for photography or for video or for ratings or whatever you want to call it like that's a that's a big theme that came up a lot when I was in in school doing doing photography and Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about this guy named Roger Fenton who during the Crimean War it's one of the first uh, wars that was documented on on photo uh, with with photography and um, there's this big um, discussion over one of his first images one of his most famous images it shows this road uh, strewn with cannonballs. Um, but there's another image of that same road from the same area with no cannonballs on it. They're all off to the side. Uh, and there was a lot of debate for a while over whether or not the cannonballs were moved off the road or put onto the road. And it was eventually determined that the cannonballs were put onto the road, um, basically to make a more striking image Um and therefore, the discussion was started whether, okay, are we going to accept photography as objective reality, or are we going to accept that things can be manipulated uh, in that time, mm-hmm. physically manipulated, to make a better-looking image, or, you know, and now, obviously, in the future, manipulated by Photoshop or however else. Um, yeah. And, you know, now coming up with uh, deep fakes and things like that, like, it continues. Yeah. The, con- the, the, the discussion continues. <laughs> Sounds sounds like our boy Lou would have uh, would have liked this photographer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think I find it very interesting. One of the things I talk, one of the classes I did on uh, on the ships were uh, these discussion classes, and I talked to people about doing street photography uh, because a lot of the places we went were impoverished places. We went to Mexico, we were, you know, other places in Japan where people would want to do street photography and take pictures of uh, of people just living their lives, and one of the conversations that we had about it was well is it okay to take a picture of someone without their permission or is you know should I go ask them so we had this whole discussion there's a lot of back and forth over whether it's okay in the first place or whether you need to ask or um, if you know being in public obviously you have no expectation of privacy right technically well well that's what I was going to say there's a difference between it being legal and it being okay right yeah, there's, uh, right. It's legal versus moral is basically what we were going yeah. on after there. 
And, um, you know, and I, I go on both sides of the fence there. You know, I like to shoot people in candid situations. Like if somebody's walking, if, if there's a great light, I just did this in Brooklyn last week. There was this beautiful light, like reflecting off one of the buildings onto the sidewalk. And I just waited there until somebody walked through the light to get this nice long shadow in the light. And it was great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's not about the person. It's more about just like the image itself. Um, yeah, well, well, that's like the thing, right? If, if you're trying to depict reality, it's not real as soon as they know that there's a camera. Right. But again, so, like a lot of candid photography is done with long lenses. So the people don't necessarily know. Um, and like, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the photos I've taken, I've been like walking up to people and like, they're kind of reacting. But if you want to get a, a true candid image, you want to shoot a person without them reacting to the camera because just the uh, act of observing changes <laughs> you know it's physics so um i'm aware <laughs> so by shooting from farther away you know you get that element of i'm just shooting somebody in their in their element and not uh not disturbing them and not changing reality there um what if they're I, not driving an element <laughs> well then i assume they're driving a scion um but uh so so basically well, <laughs> basically the, the point the point that i was going for there is be mindful of what you're shooting, you know, like I don't want, I, I, it shouldn't be exploitative as in every new photographer, new or, you know, young or old, they have this brilliant idea that they're going to take up, they're going to take portraits of homeless people because they're the unseen, like everybody thinks this is an amazing original idea when they're mm -hmm. starting photography. Like I'm going to take a picture of the unseen people and show people what they look like. But really all you're doing is exploiting them to take portraits of people that will let you take their portraits <laughs> or, you know, somebody yeah. that will let you take their portrait for a dollar instead of paying them a proper wage. Um, and it's like, I'm going to write a screenplay about the inner torment of a heartbroken 19 year old. <laughs> that's what I'm going to, that's going to, that's my original idea. Yeah. Every, every industry has their brilliant yeah. newcomers with the same exactly. idea. But basically the point that I always gave them was, don't exploit people like uh, think about the image you're taking like if it's a great aesthetic image that's it is what it is but if somebody is homeless and going through the garbage to get something because they they're looking for scraps of food maybe don't take that photo you know like think about the picture you're taking think about how you're depicting that person and what you want to say with it like really think about what you want to say with it so there are a lot mm -hmm. of like moral things that come along with taking photos of and images of people that have nothing to do with the legal side of things. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that about wraps it up for lessons. Right. If you want to email <laughs> us, you can email us at, uh, no. well, we have, we see, have an what, everyone, what, what everyone listening didn't know is this is actually our pilot episode of Don's camera corner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so who do you think is worse? Uh, Lou or Nina? Oh, okay. So Nina. So, no, I, that that wasn't that wasn't me. <laughs> that wasn't me answering it. That was me saying Nina. Yeah. She is the uh, the 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 director, the news director of a news studio. Yeah. So uh, Lou starts a, a business uh, relationship with Nina, played by Renee Russo, uh, who is, as Don said, the news director of, of a news studio. Uh, and that that's where he starts selling his his footage to and he's 
but hey, first before we even get in there, we 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 get to see how immediately intrusive he is with with his camera work. Oh yeah, by just like getting in people's faces. He's very like, he's he, very bold. Yeah, uh, he clearly has like no understanding of boundaries, or if he does understand it, he he doesn't care. So we see that then he t- he takes it to the news studio, sells it. And, and starts a business relationship with, with Nina, who gets increasingly interested in the increasingly awful footage that, that he's able to get. There is I, I don't know what position Ted Shaw from Mad Men has in this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he's like, yeah, because he doesn't seem to have much power. No, he just has opinions, and he always has the right opinion, which is he's he's the one who always says, this "Should we far. be doing this? Yeah, should we far. be buying this? Should should we show this?" Yeah. Um, and Russo is or Anita is like, yeah, it's going to bring ratings. Like I'm going to bring money, yes. and I I need these these ratings to keep my job. Yeah, Nina's like, call the lawyer. <laughs> yeah. See what is see what we can legal? get away with. Is it yeah. legal? Yes. Is it not moral? No one would do this. This is beyond all network standards. Yes, but is it legal? Yes. <laughs> uh, so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing, like, um, you really see, like, the worst side of all these people. Um, and, like, yeah. Actually, uh, I just want to say, uh, the moment where I related to uh, Lou most, to the point that I had to note it down, uh, in towards the beginning of the movie, we see him watching the movie uh, "The Court Jester" with Danny Kaye, oh, yeah. which is this old comedy movie, and he's just cracking up at it. And it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I-, I love that movie. And I was like, okay, yeah, Lou's not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, especially when the the scene where they knock the the knight's head off, and then the head, then yes, the guy pops his yes. head back out. <laughs> yes, that yeah, that, yeah, that's Danny Kaye. Um, also, I, I'm sorry that I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Ted Shaw in Mad Men. Uh, I don't think I ever knew it. He was also Joe in the episode of Scrubs. He had Lyme disease. Everyone liked him. Hmm. And because everyone liked him, they didn't want to shave his head to see if he had a tick oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he would always just say, hi, I'm Joe. <laughs> he Oh, you know, he's also the one who, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's the one who, um, when... Beard Forsay comes in and he's like, why does everyone call me Beardface? I'm pretty sure Joe's the one who's like, I'll take this one. I know I'm new here, but. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it's because your face is like 90% beard. (laughs) Why does everyone insist on calling me Beardface? Yes, I love that guy. Um, Anyway. So. Um, uh, But we we also get to see how how driven Lewis. Lou is during the sequence. So we like we see the way he's just like pouring over the news and, and seeing the kinds of stories they're showing. Mm-hmm. He starts memorizing police codes. Uh, yeah. He gets a scanner. Yeah. He's a bit of uh, a like, like he's, he's a bit of a sponge for all this information. Yeah, he's all in. he's all in. And he's he's not dumb. Like he's he's a very intelligent person, so he's able to take all this information in. Yeah. He's just a nefarious person and, and puts his extreme knowledge of all of this to use by recording people in their very worst moments in life. And we get to see him get more increasingly more brazen when it comes to things like this, where it started out with him putting cameras in the face of shooting victims and uh, getting pushed back by cops to him 
showing up to a uh, car crash scene, and uh, he was there Moving before the, the he was there before the cops. So he pulled the body into the headlights into a more uh, uh, visually acceptable position, or you know, more visually pleasing position, much like the guy who moves the uh, uh, the cannonballs yeah. onto the road. Um, he also did the yeah, same he thing. He did a more with, compelling shot. Exactly. Which, and actually, I think the first one we saw was him uh, sneaking into the people's house, trespassing while the cops were interviewing the family of the shooting next door. Um, and there were mm-hmm. bullet holes that came through their window and hit their fridge. So he moved the photos of the family up on the fridge around the bullet holes to make a more, you know, a more interesting shot. And, you know, yeah. it did make a much more interesting shot. But is it objective reality? You know, that's, that's the question. No, I mean, and it's not okay either. The answer is <laughs> He no. also took footage of their mail to get their name and address. Right, and that, which is what the um, <laughs> guy from Mad Men says is uh, like the, the first thing that. where he's like, he's getting this, he, he got their names off of a piece of mail that he stole. Like, this is not right. Like, he's always the voice mm-hmm. of reason and he's always the, the angel on the shoulder there. Yeah, actually, I would say he's probably the only character in the movie who is purely functional because he doesn't actually drive any action or cause any problems he's just there to say this is wrong and we shouldn't be doing it." he's there to roll Uh, his eyes and huff with us while we're going like seriously is this okay yeah i have this note right here ted shaw again i don't remember his character's name in the movie or the actor's name but i put uh ted shaw has a problem with this he should (laughs) everyone should yeah and uh so this is a theme that comes up very, very often here uh, in this movie that, you know, is kind of played off very casually um, because we all kind of know this happens. But Nina mentions that no one cares about the crimes that happen in this minority neighborhood of Los Angeles. We want crimes that are minorities against whites or... Um, yeah, the, the, the things that scare the white people. Yeah, what does she, what does she call it? Uh, urban crime creeping into white neighborhoods basically she mentions that that. multiple times where she says we want to hear about the uh, urban crime coming into affluent neighborhoods and even later in the movie lou mentions the fact that uh uh, rick his partner that he ends up getting um mentions oh well there's a there's a shooting over here and he said oh in that neighborhood nobody cares about that give me something good (laughs) you know yeah yeah and and they speak of it about it in the climax too when i mean we'll get there but when when lou's following the guys around at the end Mm -hmm. and and he waits until they get to a good neighborhood to to start some shit right yeah yeah um um but 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 we'll get there so speaking of rick rick man poor rick i feel bad for rick uh he he, I, i really like rick this is definitely um this is definitely lou preying on someone who is uh, very easily uh, taken advantage of. This is the guy that's, that's homeless and yeah. probably working on the streets uh, up until that point as as a, as a, a hooker, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, Lou asks him about it, and uh, Rick says he doesn't turn tricks, but Lou just disregards it and doesn't believe him. Yeah, well, Lou, said, Lou says means, it Lou's wasn't, probably right. Lou says it wasn't a question. Lou says, I wasn't asking. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. Actually, as as bad as I feel for Rick ultimately in this movie, that first scene where, where he's hiring Rick is great because it's one of the first real times where Lou has real power. Mm-hmm. Right, that's and, a good and point. And you just 
And, and you just get to see what he does with it. Like, he, he puts himself... Because he lies throughout the whole interview. Yeah. Lou does. Rick, Rick doesn't. Rick, Rick just wants the job. But Lou lies about how big his company is, how powerful his company is, yeah. and puts himself in such a position of power over Rick that Rick is drawn even more to the job yeah. that he would have taken anyway because he was so desperate. Yeah. Um, I like it, and I feel like, I can't remember, but I feel like in that scene he hires Rick and then Rick is still like, so what do we do? Yeah. Um, Lou is very much fake it till you make it in, in, this, in uh, this entire movie. Like, he is... Yeah, pretending to be bigger and more powerful and have more power and have more sway than he really does, you know, until he actually does have the that golden thing that everybody wants. Um, yeah, but like Rick is just this unknowing prey that uh, that Lou takes advantage of here because he, he, whatever ad he put out does not say what not what the job is or what it pays, and Rick or uh, Lou tries to play it like play it as an internship after a while. And, you know, Rick actually does stand up for himself here. I'll give him that and say, I need to make something like I need to make some money. And he uses Mm -hmm. that like bottom floor. I wasn't going to pay you at all to lowball him into paying him $30 a night to be his sidekick. Yeah. But to a homeless dude, that's exactly which I mean, you know, know, well, that exactly that, that is just, and that's a big theme of this movie is, capitalism and exploitation of the low, you know lower class and lower people um one thing i liked just a nice little throwaway line when uh lou and nina are in the the new studio and they're just walking across like the actual new set where the desk is and they have like the fake backdrop of the la skyline mm-hmm. behind, behind it and when lou realizes it's fake he says on tv it looks so real yeah which is sort of his whole guiding theory on the way he does the video in the first place. Yeah, and I thought it was a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke about movies in general. <laughs> um, well, going back to Rick real quick, I, one, of the, one of the things that keeps happening with Rick and Lou's dynamic throughout this movie is, even if Rick is just doing everything that he should be doing, for, Lou will call him out on every little thing. And, you know, he he is so good at manipulating people that whenever he does call Rick out on something and he blames him for missing a turn or missing, you know, missing whatever GPS coordinates, taking the wrong route route, and then missing the story instead of blowing up on him. He's always level voice. He never yells. He always just manipulates and calls Rick out and says, well, you need to be better. You can be better. I know you're better. Like he, he almost, you know, that Don, he almost Don Draper's him <laughs> in a lot of these situations and talks him up that way. Yeah, um, I, I, I can't find my note right now, but I did make the note that it's actually as, as and I noted that it was him being manipulative, mm-hmm. but it's actually a, a little cool that he's always building Rick up. He is, and it's weird. It's funny. It's actually kind of funny and ironic that he builds Rick up to be what he will end up being later. Yeah, well, he he's building. He's trying to build Rick up into into what he needs Rick to be. Right, but he's but, also push. He's also uh, keeping him in his place, so he does not get that raise that he keeps talking about. And he's he's yeah. becoming a better per, he's becoming a better assistant. But he's also making sure he calls him out on every mistake he makes. That way, he has no 
footing to add, demand a, a raise, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then, as uh, as he continues to get more and more successful at taking these videos, um, he Lou asks Nina out and makes a very business like proposition of you need me for your ratings. I, I know your entire work history. We're at the point like you, you keep changing jobs to keep changing news stations. We're at the point where you're probably about to change news stations if you don't get your ratings. Yeah. I, I, I need you to have sex with me. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean you never see it happen, but it's very much understood that she complies. Yeah. Uh because he's right and she needs him to keep the job that she has. That makes him even more um, grimy than he was to begin with. Yeah. And just like the calm, creepy way he does it. The, makes the, it the matter worse. of fact way that he discusses. I need this. You need me. This is what I want from you. I can easily go to another network if you don't sleep with me tonight. Like, I didn't say that. Like, he basically says, oh, I, I didn't I didn't say that. But that's your choice. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, that's, he starts up a... Go on. Oh, I was just going to say, like, that's, that's definitely, that definitely leads to the theme of, like, both of their, like, that, that shows you how similar these two characters are, like, their drive to succeed knows no bounds, like, trying to be the best and get your job and stay in your position will lead you to do many questionable things with your, with your life and your career. Or, or even to move up, so it's very possible, because in in Nina's whole you know, job, career, history, she's never moved past this point. Right. And she probably wants to, so. Yeah. And I'm sure there's, like, a frustration there where, like, well, maybe this will finally be my big break, and if i got to take one for the team here with yeah. creepy, sexy guy, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, as attractive as Jake Gyllenhaal generally is, he is not at all sexy in this movie. Uh, He's I agree. Gaunt. Yeah. He's, He's pale. He's got the creeper eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And he and he when he walks, his arms don't move. Like I watch, like his move. I did notice his that. movements are so like like the way he moves is just just enough of a character trait that makes him that extra extra level of creepy. Um, and it's well, he he, he did pattern his uh, acting on uh, a coyote. Okay. Oh, which is so part of the, the coyotes that are part of the, the commercials. Oh, is it? Yeah, you saw the like the two or at least two times we saw the coyotes woo, howling in the commercial. Uh, they were they, one, they were once on the TV screen he was watching, and then once in like the background as like the commercial that played when they threw the commercial on the on the news screen. Hmm. I, I don't remember that, but but yeah, huh. um, he he patterned his performance on a coyote, which is why he lost weight so he would look like a uh, like a hungry coyote who would do anything to to get fed interesting um oh wow okay well when you and when you put it like that i mean <laughs> yeah uh one thing i thought was interesting is that uh rick mentions making peace with what you don't have ah. and lou just ignores him i was just about to mention that specifically to counter the way that lou and nina are like they are only looking for the next thing and like to try to be whatever or get whatever is next versus Rick saying, well, you know, as a homeless person, as you know, like you have to just make peace with what you don't have. You know, it is what it is. I'm taking the $30 a night. Yeah. And, and Lou just turns away from him because yeah. this is not part of his philosophy at all. Yeah. Um, 
and he he starts getting in, increasing success. He he starts a, a rivalry with with Joe, Bill Paxton's character. Yeah. And uh, when you talk about the the lengths you'll go to 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 be successful, after a night where Bill Paxton's character beats him to a, a big news story, Lou goes and sabotages Bill Paxton's uh, van. van. And causes a, a huge accident. Get gets it on video. Mm-hmm. Sells that to Nina. Yeah, but I mean, and, and before he even sells the video to Nina, the video he takes is very coldly like. I mean, Rick is in the back saying he's one of us. Like you shouldn't be treating him. Yeah. And he said no. He's just a sale now. Like he is just you know he is my sale. He is the food that I'm able to get tonight. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, and it's like it's, it, it is much just just like it's very cutthroat, just like the news industry is. Like you have you know, it's like you have to kill the competition literally sometimes, and that's this yeah. how this is presented. Yeah, which is not how Joe was going about uh, trying to get rid of his competition. No. He he realized how how much competition he was getting from Lou. Tried to hire him. Yeah, I mean, tried to offer him basically his own separate team that was part of the same umbrella yeah. and. And I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that was a good business, ta- business tactic. If you can't beat them, join them, like pull, you know, get, instead of trying to fight with your competition, bring, put them in, on your team. And instead he hired someone else and was able to beat him to two stories instead of one. Uh, and yeah. that just angered Lou so much that he was led to murder him. Yeah. Um, when, when Joe was trying to hire Lou and he just kept, kept trying to talk him into it uh lou said you keep talking like it's something i'd be interested in but i'm not which is something i wish i could say to more people more often. <laughs> i'm sure you wanted to say that to me one once or twice <laughs> <laughs> not to you but to people i don't like you really want to go on this hike don't you do you want to <laughs> <laughs> well no i just you, you you take my nose pretty well <laughs> um one of the things I think it's Lou that says that the true price of any item is how much someone is willing to pay for it when he's mm-hmm. when he's like negotiating for his pay and like that's a great line. I mean, it's very true. The the true yep. that's that's a very good line about capitalism. Like that's you you charge as much as someone is willing to pay. Like that is your base yeah. price. Um, yeah, I've also I've usually heard that in when people are talking about like uh, collectibles because people mm-hmm. will. You know, try to buy collectibles to sell them at, at higher prices, yeah. but you can only sell them for the price someone like a collectible is only as valuable as someone is willing to pay for it. So, when it comes, that's what that's what it, that's what it comes down to in a lot of these situations here. That ratings or money are worth more than people. Like certain people are worth. You know, the ratings are going to go up if you have certain people in danger. If you tell the suburban affluent white people that there is a killer in their neighborhood or a robber in their neighborhood, then, you know, that's going to drive ratings up because people are going to keep tuning into your news channel to find out the updates because you were the one with the exclusive and you know more about it than anybody else. Yeah. Well, we, so we need to talk about this scene. Um, the, the scene where Lou and Rick get to, uh, like a, a murder house, basically. Yeah. Uh, before before the cops are able to get there. Yeah. Um, they happen to be five blocks away, so they pull, turn around, pull back, and they realize they're there before the cops. And they also realize they're there before the perpetrators have even left the house. 
Yeah. Well, uh, Lou realizes it when he gets to the uh, house. Rick, yeah. He runs up the driveway. Rick doesn't and finds realize out. it at first. Right. Yeah. So so he, he he gets footage of of two guys with guns leaving the house. Yeah. This is a very and then very much a turning point for the movie here. Yeah. One of the creepier scenes in the movie. Yeah. So he sees he gets footage of the two guys leaving the house, gets their license plate number, and then proceeds to go into the house, finding what is it like four or five Three. murder victims? Three. Yeah. Uh, just going through the house, blood everywhere. Very casually. Uh, very casually, just just taking all the footage. And the, the 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 biggest intrusion feels like when he gets to the the baby's room. Mm-hmm. And he just creeps up on on the crib, and I like that. So yeah. later on, yeah. when they're showing the footage, yeah, a little mirror image. That's what. That's when you find out that there's no baby in the crib. Right, right, right. But I also like the fact that Nina knows. Like when he once he finally negotiates and sells this footage to Nina, you see Nina do the same thing. You know, he comes up on the crib with his camcorder and films inside of it. Finding that there's no baby in the crib, no dead yeah. child, but then Nina tells the news reporter as they are broadcasting this live in the morning to their to their viewers to push it, make sure you, people think that there might be a dead baby in this that they're going to keep watching. Like push it, like keep build the suspense, build yeah. it up, build it up. We don't know, even though we know there's no dead baby in there. Build it up. There might be well, a dead baby. I don't. I don't think. Well, I think by that point we do know. But when he's but when he goes to take that footage, that's why I like what they do with it later. Because when he's taking the footage and you see the crib, you're like, oh, God, please don't tell me there's a right. dead baby in there. Um, and so it's like a, but then a we watch, scene. But then we watch Nina tell the producer, or like as the producer, tell the newscasters to build that up just like we experienced yeah. in that scene. Exactly. That's why I like it. Yeah. And But then, so after he f- films the, the baby crib, he goes downstairs. There's someone in the kitchen who is still gasping. Right. And he just takes the footage, doesn't bother to help, yeah. and, and leaves But before the cops can get there. And then continually um, plays it off as uh, we had our video, uh, we had our video man in, in the field who entered the house hoping to be solely, able to help someone. Yeah. yeah. So the only reason he went inside was yeah. so that he could. I mean, hope that's obviously that his, al- his like not his alibi, but that's his uh, excuse. That's his legal excuse mm-hmm. for entering the home. Yeah. Yeah. So very. Yeah. This is where he like crests his creepiness. Like he becomes. Yeah. Psychopathic, and then, sociopathic at this point. Then to make everything even worse, after they broadcast all of that, the entire newsroom is like, "All right, good job, everyone. That was great." Like, they're all scarily proud of, yeah. of the broadcast. And no one says, I've got to fire you. Short wrong. broadcast, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. No one gets fired. I have to fire you. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, so which, which is when Nina he, he both... slash Veronica put that in the teleprompter and no one seemed to care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but after that broadcast is when both the the higher ups want to know more about him for and the, the great footage, the yeah. and then the police also want to know more about him. Yeah. Um, but but he lies and says he didn't get any footage of the perpetrators. Uh, he saw them, but he can't remember <laughs> anything. So the first thing he does is get rid of the evidence, but also look up the killers. Mm-hmm. 
so that track them down. He, yeah, so that he could follow them around to to, to film them doing something else. Yeah. And his end and, game, his end game is played out exactly as he wants it to. Oh, it's so creepy and scary. Yeah, he tracks um, these guys down, finds them, follows them. Yeah, so his plan is essentially to follow them to where the most people could possibly get hurt, yeah. and and call the cops and let them know that they're there and armed. Um, so they go like to a well, restaurant. Oh, go on. Well, um, first, uh, while he's uh, chasing them, I, I really like that Rick is consistently trying to get his uh, his promotion. Oh yeah, and and he's done such a good job so far that Lou's just like name your price. Yeah, and Rick. Uh, being, you know, the the low shooter that he is, and without any real belief in himself, he's like one seventy five dollars done. He's like done, and I love when they're speeding away. Rick's like, I could have gotten more money, couldn't I? And Lou just says, oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. it's it's just. Probably the only funny scene in the movie. Yeah, I do also. But, I gotta say, also while we're talking about Rick again, I do appreciate that Rick also says, "We're in a red sports car. We're going to get noticed." <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I was thinking as well. I was like, "You're in a you're in a red Challenger. You're gonna you're, you, people are gonna see you if you follow them for too long." You know, when when he first got the car, I thought it was just one of those like, oh, the guy with money is getting himself a, a nice flashy car. Like yeah. I thought it was that gag, but then as I watched it, specifically at the end when they were really trying to chase around the news, I realized, you know, Lou is very precise, mm-hmm. and a car like this is going to get like it's gonna let him maneuver around yeah. and, and speed around very quickly and easily. So it was actually a, no. a practical choice on his part to, to get a, a powerful car. I think other than it being um, red, it was a good choice for him and it made sense for the character. But I, I think the redness yeah. of it also speaks to his boldness of it's like, blood red. just like, well, that too. But I was thinking more like his, this is that this is his version of sticking the camera in a dying person's yeah. face on the scene of a crime. Well, they also show you a couple times in the movie that he doesn't care at all about the police. Like he's not threatened at all. Yeah. Like right, I think it's right after he, it, like the beginning scene where he knocks out or kills the security guard and takes the watch. You see him with the watch, and then you see, you know, the the cherry tops go by on the cop cars, mm-hmm. and he just he doesn't even look, doesn't, doesn't care, yeah. d- 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 doesn't phase him at all. Yeah. D- doesn't even worry that it might be for him. But I gotta also say that when. Uh, Lou tells Rick that the uh, reward for any anything about these killers is fifty thousand uh, dollars. Rick insists on twenty five thousand. He thinks he deserves the half, and Lou mm-hmm. goes, "Okay, well, I guess if you if I have no choice, I have to give it to you." I mean, Rick himself has become like corrupt corrupted in a way that he's like, "Okay, I realize there's something illegal going on here. I'm going to take advantage of the situation." and get the best I can for myself here. Or, you know, however you want to look at that, he is now taking advantage of the situation to better himself. Yeah, well, um, and as you pointed out, which I didn't realize, is that um, Lou has been building Rick up to know that he has some sort of power, Mm -hmm. um, which is eventually Rick's undoing. Poor Rick. (laughs) Um, But I, I also like that, Rick is like, you know what your problem is? is you don't understand people, man. Like, 
you just got to be nice. Yeah. And then late, later, Lou's just like, when they're chasing the guys at the very end, and he's like, just coldly, he says, what if my problem isn't that I don't understand people, but that I don't like them? Yeah. Well. Um, Which makes a lot more sense than him not understanding people the, the way he acts. Yeah. Um, well, should we, should we talk, speaking of poor Rick, should we, should we just uh, lay out this last scene here? I mean, we're, we're there. We're, we're at the, the ending. So, yeah. again, they, they've followed these two murderers to, what is it? A Chinese restaurant. Shop, a Chinese, Chinese restaurant. I believe it's Chinese. And yeah. where there are innocent bystanders, Lou calls the cops, lets them know that they are the criminals and that they have they've a gun. been looking for, that they have a gun. And the cops, then he tells Rick to get outside so he can get a, a closer camera angle. Uh, the cops show up. It obviously, because of the way it's been built up, turns into a, a shootout. Mm. And the the one criminal gets killed. The other one runs, hops in the car. A cop is shot and killed along the way. A, a, a cop is shot. Rick hops in uh, Lou's car. They follow with the, the cops' big chase sequence. And this is the destruction. most uh, mildly unrealistic version. Like, the thing that happens throughout the movie is this the ridiculousness yeah. of this chase scene. Yeah, um, because it, it feels like exciting. an action sequence. Yeah, it is, um, and it's been building up to it enough that you're kind of glad to get something like this. Yeah. But um, so they get great. They feel, get great, it feels like a climax. Yeah, and they get great, great footage of cop cars mm -hmm. flipping over and then this car ending up and eventually a cop car and this car t-boning uh in in uh an intersection and yeah somehow, uh, the, the criminal's car right and and then somehow yeah. the lose car speeds right through the crash unscathed and then turns around and stops at this intersection where yeah. where they both get out of the car and then lou speeds over to see what has happened in the the uh, the shooter's vehicle, and he steps back and tells Rick, "He's dead. Come get a shot of this." And then he steps out mm -hmm. of the way and gets a wider frame, only yeah. for us yeah. to find out when when Rick steps into frame with his camera, you realize this guy's not dead. He's sitting in the driver's seat or what's left of it with his gun, and fires at Rick. Yeah. Taking him down, and then you know, Lou is just filming in the background, yeah. And and then uh, Lou Ed, Lou goes up to Rick and gets the close up shot. And, and Rick is essentially, he's like, You knew that guy was alive, and you still sent me in there. Yeah. And Lou's just like, Well, basically, he basically says, You got too big for your britches, and I yeah. couldn't trust you anymore because of you know all the powerful negotiating you tried to do. And, and even, because a, a little earlier, Rick was telling Lou, I don't want to get out of the car. It's not worth this. Yeah, there was a bit of a to-do about it. And I think that's when Lou's real turn took, is if, if I can't trust you to do the job, then I don't need you. Well, to me, this the, is what's going to happen. To me, the misdirect was where, he w where Rick was negotiating for more money in the car and saying, I'm going to turn you in. How, how does that feel? I'm going to take you for more money. And I mean, they even bring that back up again when Rick is laying there on the pavement dying. He says, uh, uh, you know, you probably would have taken advantage of that situation again. You tried once. You know, I couldn't take that chance. And Rick basically goes, yeah, I probably would have. <laughs> and closes his eyes and dies. 
and then yeah. Rick, you know, and then and then Luke coldly walks away without caring, just like the just yeah. like the news well, industry well, itself. First, first he takes his camera back from Rick. Oh yes, takes it off his arm. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then leaves, and then probably the the most sickening scene of all, he goes shows the footage to Nina. And she's impressed. She's like turned on. Possi- by it. Possibly a little turned on. Yeah. yeah. And she's just like, this yeah. is. I mean, these, you know. This is the Lou, best thing I've ever seen. Lou and, and Nina are basically. Uh, they're peas in a pod. They're metaphors for the news industry itself and like the uncaring nature of what happens out there when the, all that matters is ratings and clicks and whatever, you know. Yeah. And then. Ted Shaw, again, sorry, I can't remember your name, guy, mm-hmm. but he comes up to Nina and he's like, oh, I just found out this thing about the all those people who were murdered in the, in the house. There are lots of drugs in there. Oh, it yeah. wasn't just it wasn't just criminals coming in and murdering people. It was like a drug deal going wrong. And she's like, I don't care. That's not what sells. Yeah. Um, and he's, again, understandably disgusted. Yeah. And then Lou gets questioned by the cops, and he's released. He buys a news van. He he gets a new team of interns, and he's got two vans now. And they they set about into the night. Yeah, and he tells and the he tells these new interns, "I wouldn't, I won't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do," which is uh, true and cre- well, and except for what he did to Rick. Right, but I mean, before he had Rick, he was still storming into houses without knowing and going into houses without knowing if somebody was still in there with a gun and things like that. So, I mean, it's, but it's, it's still really funny to hear that. And now he's using that to exploit people. Like, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I still thought it was like, uh, and they're like interns. Of like, he's not paying them. He's not paying them. Yeah. But also like the fact that he's essentially saying, I, I wouldn't put you in any danger. I wouldn't put myself in. Right. But, but really, he's using them. Seven they minutes are, ago, we, we watched him do exactly that with Rick. They are the canaries in the coal mine for him now. Um, but also, yes. it's... And like they're also college students, so they, they'll do whatever... Right. But seeing that do. he has a business now, like he has vans, he has like mm-hmm. capital, this is the unethical, like the very unethical beginning of a real business and certainly yeah. an allegory for how many businesses begin in shady ways. Also... He ends the movie wearing that watch from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I saw the watch again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this oh, movie well. is disgusting, but I love but it. But wonderful, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a totally creepy, but done very, very well. So Very well. Well, that sums up the recap of the movie. Um, I, think we, I think we both <laughs> yes. need a quick break uh, yeah. to take a breath from this. And uh, we'll be right back with some lessons we may have learned. That we haven't already talked about in Don's camera corner. Yes. Doodly-doo. All right, we'll be right back. And we're back. Welcome back to Imitating Art. We are back. Okay. (laughs) You can tell we're back because my wine is full. It's a metaphor, and also <laughs> true. Would you say that glass is half empty or half full? It's all wine. That's all I need to know. Um, <laughs> but uh, did you learn any lessons from this movie? I learned how I don't want to be. 
That's a good way to put it, I think. Because um, those are the, the kinds of lessons that you learn from this movie. Other than, I mean, we all know to not believe everything we see in the media. Um, hmm. uh, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, that, that's just always been true. But also, we should be mindful of what we're attracted to in the media. Because uh, usually, no matter what it is, whether it's a, a crime or someone shit-talking a politician you don't like, we're, we're generally drawn to uh, the news media that makes us feel negative about something. Hmm. Not everyone, but it seems like that's what most news media is because that's what people want to watch for one reason or another. Uh, sometimes being angry is fun. I, I, I understand. And uh, just trying to be mindful of that when I'm watching even something that I agree with, even if it's negative, uh, it should just be on our minds when we're, when we're watching things like that. Is, this is why I love doing this with you because I, you, you took a whole different approach to that lesson and summing this up than I did. I didn't even like look at it from that pers the perspective of the viewer of the news that's being produced. Uh, like that, for whatever reason, that didn't occur to me in this in this yeah. case, like at all. Well, the only reason they produce the news that way is because people want to watch it. Exactly, and as much as I've talked about, like it bleeds, it leads. Uh, how are you portraying this thing? Is this objective reality? That the thought of thinking of the lessons from the perspective of a news viewer did not seem to occur to me at all. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great, great point and a great yeah. lesson to draw from this one. Um, yeah. My The lesson I took from this is uh, just do whatever it takes to get a job. I was going to say, it's not, it's not that we can't learn positive things from uh, Lou and his story. Yeah. You know, be, be driven, find something you're good at, and then... And then be gung-ho about it and, and yeah. just keep going for it. And yes, um, that is true and that's positive and that's good in some ways. That was my kind of joke lesson, though. Um, as I mean, there I are, mean it's there, a real lesson. No, for sure. And I mean, it's good to have drive. But while you are driven to do these things, be aware that power and greed and capitalism can easily corrupt and cause you to do things that you have maybe have always told yourself you wouldn't do, or maybe just things that cross the line for you. Um, just, you know, I think, I think one of the things I took from it is just to check your place and be mindful mm -hmm. of where you, where you started and what your goals were and hope that make sure that your goals are being drawn from a good place and not taking you over the line to a place that you don't want to go morally. Like, don't corrupt your own morals for work, for money, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so just always keep yourself in check. Yeah, I mean, so many businesses and, and business people only get as powerful as they are by trampling on the, the lowest tier of, of people. Yeah. Um, which is why I always say, like, when people say, oh, maybe, maybe we need a businessman as president to, to, to run the country as a business and every time I think but but businesses and governments generally tend to treat the lowest people the same way yeah I mean we all so, know 
we all hear stories so about why? child labor making electronics for big companies and we hear about child labor making clothing for big retailers but we still shop there like we still do it and i mean yeah. we all know we're all we're all culpable there you know like we're all aware of it i mean i know some sometimes it feels like we don't have much other choice um but we do all kind of we're all kind of complicit in allowing these monopolies and these companies to continue exploiting uh, low paid wage, you know, low paid wages and child labor in other countries that they're, they're over there. We don't have to think about them, you know? Well, but even, even without the, the child labor, like we all know how Amazon treats it, it, its workers. It's, yeah. I know enough actual employees of Amazon to know how they're treated. And, and we still all shop there because it's, they, they just make it so easy. They make it almost impossible not to shop there. That could be their slogan. It's almost it impossible is. not to shop here. <laughs> well, it's like they're just they're they're powerful enough that they can take losses on on so many things, just to make it easier for you, and therefore harder for other companies who don't have their money or power to to be able to to offer the same thing. Yeah. This is a bit of a tangent, but um, that's what we do. Uh, but one of the things I realized, like, I feel like one of the main things I've learned or in adulthood, I think is that companies or politicians or whoever, there are so many kind of gentlemen's agreements for lack of a better word there that people have just kind of, they've stayed within the boundaries of these agreements that we all said that, you know, a president can't do this or a company can't be a monopoly. And then a few people have decided, well, let's just see what happens if we just do it. If we just keep our money offshore or if we put our money in tax havens and we skirt all of these U.S. laws or, well, there's no actual thing keeping me from doing this. You know, it's like the people that we were taught when we were younger were the good guys are yeah. not so much that. And that, that was kind of like my awakening of, oh, this is reality. All, you know, this is what's really happening. Yeah. Let, let's sell houses to people who can't afford them and then ruin the economy. <sighs> and then we'll get a bailout from the government when we go under. Yeah. None of us will go to jail. Well, hmm. and, you know, and I think I'm realizing why Empire is your favorite Star Wars movie. We tend to end these podcasts on really fucking sad notes. <laughs> we go down, uh, well, we go on the down note every time. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd, I'd say if you learn anything from from watching Lou or Jeff Bezos it's just have empathy like yeah. you're not going to get as much power by being empathetic yeah. to anyone especially the the people below you but like I could I could go out for a beer with Rick and Ched, Ted Shaw you know yeah. I don't I don't want anything else to do with with any other character in this movie no maybe joe but he's still he's he's on the uh, line he, yeah but he he's he seems just like a lifer who's just out there to get his job done but he also is kind of yeah, a dick <laughs> he's definitely kind of a dick i kind of imagine that this is what his bill Paxton's Baxton's character from uh twister ended up doing like <laughs> 20 years later can you tell that you know what i feel like we need to have a side podcast called 
like 20 years later, what are these characters doing after this movie? Because we've brought it up multiple times. <laughs> like, right. I'm pretty sure Lloyd Dobler is Rob Gordon 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easy to do with actors when they have uh, just the same way of, of doing things. That's true, that's true. I don't have a fun question for this movie. Uh, I want to ask, um, where do you think... Uh, let's let me let me think of a good one here. What's a what's a Nicolas Cage movie you saw tonight from Face Off? Where do you think he would be twenty years? I think like, where do you think he'd be today? Who? What character do you think he'd be today? <laughs> I I think the only '90s Cage movie that I know off the top of my head is uh, The Rock. Okay, so where do you think uh, Agent? I don't remember his name. I I thought I might. But, me neither. Uh, the agent that Nicolas Cage plays in that movie. Where do you think he is today? It's probably treasure hunting. No, oh, I think he's. I think he's hunting for treasure, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can, historical documents, it. things like that. I could see that. Um, but his his character. I mean, you know what? His characters are quite similar in that movie. Um, <laughs> but it's see. He actually says, "Wait, I think that's in The Rock, right? Is that what you said?" Yeah. Yeah, that's the movie where he's in the where they're locked in Alcatraz on separate levels, and he yells. How in Zeus's butthole are you going to get us out of here? <laughs> like the I, I weirdest, that, the yeah. weirdest line, like the most Nicolas Cage, but the most weird line for that movie. Like it's so so strange that he was like, yeah, just just run with, it. just say something weird here, Nick. Great Odin's Raven. Coppola, why did you say butthole? Oh, sorry, Cage. <laughs> I- I, I didn't really have a fun question, but I was uh, curious because uh, Lou is obviously very sociopathic in in this movie, and mm-hmm. I was just curious if you happen to know the difference between uh, a sociopath and a psychopath. Not off the top of my head because I always like I always switch between the two. Um, mm-hmm. Do you? But then you, you watch have... like Sherlock, where they're like, "Oh, he's a psychopath," and he's like, "I'm not a psychopath. I'm a high functioning sociopath." Right. And I, I, I want to say that a psychopath is more of a compulsive, doesn't have control over their actions kind of thing, where a sociopath is more aware of how and why they're doing things. But I, that, that's just my, I'm going to throw that out there, answer. Hmm. So <clears throat> there's actually no difference between a, a psychopath and a sociopath. Oh, so it's like a stout it, and a porter. Yeah. So, well... Not really, because there used to be a difference between a stout and a porter, uh, and and they've just like blurred the lines uh, in the past, you know, couple hundred years. But so, at some point, the word psychopath started having you know the super negative connotations with it, and it wasn't like socially acceptable uh-huh. or, or whatever. So they just started they changed the term to psych- uh, sociopath to make it a more like palatable term, because I mean it is a real like you know, disorder that people have to deal with. So rather than telling people you're a psychopath, you got to then tell them you're a a sociopath and you Mm -hmm. have sociopathy. So yeah, it was, it was just like, uh, making psychopathy sound better because of the, the bad rap it got for, for Mm -hmm. the people suffering from it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Psycho, psychopath deaths. Great, great book. Uh, also the guy who plays Rick in this movie, by the way, uh, Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed or Ahmed, however you say it. Um, he's an actor, rapper, and activist. Um, I was trying to see what else he was in. 
he was in Jason Bourne, and he's been in Star Wars okay. somehow. He's been in Rogue. He was in Rogue One. Um, but I thought I knew him uh-huh. from something. I think he he guessed. Isn't it on he in like Girls, uh, Venom? Didn't he? Wasn't he in that? I didn't watch it, but wasn't he in that uh, like HBO series, The Night of, or, or something? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He was. And what? Yeah, what was? What? What? Which one was that? Oh, you know what? I did. So I that I think that's where I knew him, where I know him from. Uh, I kind of forgot that series existed. Um, it's one of those things where I've never seen it. It was like a, it was I, a mini series. Yeah, it, that, the yeah. Night of was a good, was a was really good. I liked it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I've heard his name associated with it. So when I saw that that's who played Rick, I was like, "Oh, it's it's that guy from from that show that I haven't seen yet." Yeah, that's right. But yeah, he was he was great. I mean, all of the actors are are great in this movie. Uh, as long as we're recommending things, uh, you know, we're talking about Jake Gyllenhaal all here. Um, City Slickers, <laughs> great movie. One of his first acting credits. He plays yeah. Billy Crystal's son. Uh, one of the few movies where I would say he probably doesn't do a great job in it because he's 12. But I, I'm, I'm a, like I said at the top of the show, I, I watched it recently. It's one of my favorites. What is what would you say is your second favorite Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Um, since we're since we're talking about him, huh? I, I need to remember what he's in because I, I mean I like Donnie Darko, but I never liked it as much as other people did. Yeah, me either. Um. And I probably would have liked it more if it didn't have all the hype. The I like the director's cut. Yeah. Um, uh, Prisoners was really good. Prisoners um, was good. I really like Prisoners. I if I had to answer, I think I would probably say Nocturnal Animals is my second favorite. I know I you didn't. I, I know you didn't like it as much as I did. I I really I really enjoyed it. Um, but anyway, um, great movie. Anyway. I'm glad we watched it again. Um, you know, I me once, too. Once again. The white guys just need some representation out here, and I'm glad. Yeah. Got, I'm glad they got some good press here, so to speak. And you know what? <laughs> the white guys win in this one. However, after watching this movie, this is definitely like I, I know we talked in last week's episode um, that we want to do some more female-driven movies, both or uh, minority-driven movies. We didn't fe- say yeah, that. Oh, but. Yeah, yeah, female and minority, and just basically non-white male movies um, going forward. I still think that is the case. I also believe, as we've mentioned before, that we need a little bit more of a lighthearted palate cleanser movie after this one. <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk about a sleep. I want to do a sleepwalk with me esque, funny or like movie that we can laugh about in the next one, where we're not yeah. talking about crime and people destroying other people's lives. Yeah, we should do one people have seen though. Yeah. Now, how are we going to find a movie that people have seen that doesn't have a white guy as a lead? <laughs> <laughs> Do those exist? Um, uh, it's uh, true. We might have to settle for a Jewish guy. Uh, you know. Playing a white guy. Anyway. I'm really trying to think. I would, love to th- I would love to talk about something that's similar to like Fleabag because I love, I love that show and that actress um, and the, just the, the vibe of that show. Like, I would love to talk about it and she touches on some really good subjects as well i almost feel like we sure. could do an entire series an entire uh british series of six episodes of a, of a of a show one day because it's so succinct and just they're very well done yeah so uh, i you're probably right all right well, we'll see uh if you would yeah if you want to Email us. You can email us at imitatingart1 at gmail.com. 
That's the number one. Don't spell it out. And you can find us on all the socials at Imitating Art Pod, mostly on Instagram. That's where we post most of our content. And if you want to find I'm us trying. individually. Yeah, you can find me on all the socials at Big F and Moose and, uh, if you want yeah. to be bored. And you can find me on Instagram at Don't Worry, I'm Finite. Uh, you can find links to my YouTube uh, channel there as well. And um, thanks for listening. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, or if you have Apple Podcasts, we'd always appreciate a review. Uh, five star only, of course. Uh, no, tell mm-hmm. us tell us what you really think. Um, but still give us the five stars and then give us shit in the comments. Um, it just helps <laughs> helps out to get us out there, I guess. Um, but uh, if you listen on anything else, appreciate that too. And uh, yeah, tell all your friends. Yeah, we call that a call to action. Yes. Tell, please C- tell your friends about this show. Good old CTA. Good way to end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for right. thanks for sticking around. It's been yeah. actual. It's been actual. It's been real. And we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. How do you end this thing? How do you turn this off? Don and Chuck will return in Imitating Art with Don and Chuck.